Welcome back to the Movie Bubble Podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm hosting this week, and I'm here with Nick. Uh, Nick, how's it going? How's it going, Brennan? Not too bad on my end. Yeah, not too bad here either. I mean, we're we're now uh, over a month into this thing, and it's it's still still the way it is. And I don't think there's really uh, an end in sight yet, but there definitely is some discussions now about timelines and uh, potential timelines. But for the time being, we're we're kind of stuck here and just doing what we've been doing the last few weeks, but things are good on my end as well. Glad they are for you. Everyone's staying healthy. Um, nothing really to report, obviously, as the box office is staying shut down, but uh, we do have some numbers. Last week, me and Colin were trying to uh, figure out what the numbers were for Trolls World Tour, but they hadn't really reported many yet, but you uh, could confirm now that there are some numbers on uh, rentals. Yeah, so some of the numbers coming out, uh, for after its first weekend, we're about 50 million for that movie, which is really good, actually. You probably would have thought that maybe that was towards the higher end of what it would have gotten in its first weekend in like a regular world where things aren't falling apart <laughs> at the theaters. So that's actually it's a really good number. Um, and so yeah, this movie costs right around 90, 100 million, right in that range. Um, so that's not a bad start. Um, and you got to figure that they're a bunch of kids want to watch it more than once and then after that 48 hour window period or however long the that rental period is for the movie you figure that they're going to rent it again and um it seems like it was probably a good move by universal they looked at all of it and they figured this is something that kids are going to want to watch and something that will hopefully kind of distract them for an hour and a half so that parents can get their sanity back for a second <laughs> um so uh, it looks like that. Like, I mean, it's probably too early to say anything about what this means overall or more if more movies are going to go straight to VOD in this kind of way. But uh, it seems like the Trolls World Tour is doing okay. Yeah, no, for sure. And we also had just kind of a neat tidbit that last week, me and Colin talked about how it made 40 grand uh, at, at drive in theaters last week. And that was reported as uh, their box office total. That number from 40 grand has now uh, risen to 60. So they've made about $60,000 from 25 uh, different drive in theaters across uh, the United States uh, so far. So that's that's pretty interesting, too. And as you pointed out before we hopped on, that's a decent uh, per screen average as well. Yeah, it's it, I feel like we've always <laughs> we always kind of forget that drive in still exists. And then they've definitely been dying for some time now. And they're probably biggest what back in the 60s and 70s um but i kind of it's kind of cool to see them kind of rise to whatever sort of prominence this is again who knows maybe people start to realize drive-ins are kind of cool um i know i've never actually been to a drive-in movie like ever so maybe this is kind of like the chance to do it but um yeah it's good for them staying in business uh, however they can it's kind of cool it's cool it's cool to see yeah for sure and even uh they've made some money as well uh, overseas, so they're up to two million dollars from overseas uh, box office uh, totals. So that's an interesting kind of tidbit. So I guess there are some countries that still have their theaters up and running potentially, in some areas or markets that uh, still have things up and running. Now that's what the studios reported. They've turned in two million dollars so far from overseas uh, box office, but there's no actual country I can point to where that two million came from. But you're right. This is this is probably not a sign of of what's to come for VOD and what the potential is for movies to take this route uh, for the foreseeable future. But um, it is a very interesting little tidbit, and I think that. 
there would definitely be some potential for movies to uh, try out this avenue. Now, I, I love obviously going to the theater, and that's that's going to be something that we're all going to be excited to do uh, when whenever they open again. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a mid-range to maybe not quite blockbuster, but a decently popular uh, film maybe drop on VOD in the next few months that was scheduled to maybe come out in theaters. Yeah, I, I heard a really interesting conversation. Um, Jason Blum, uh, Blumhouse guy, obviously, he had a conversation with Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast, which I recommend you check out after you've listened to everything on this feed 500 times. Just listen to all <laughs> of them, and then you can go over to that one and listen to that conversation. Uh, and he, he was talking about, they were kind of, this was, I think, a week or so ago, they were t- talking kind of at a high level about the performance of The Invisible Man and The Hunt and their movies that went to VOD after their short time in theaters. And he was, he sounded pretty pleased. He wasn't, it wasn't a super political, like, oh, we're still getting in the numbers. We'll see. He seemed pretty content with how they were doing. Um, So, and they went on to to discuss things like maybe there's some hybrid release uh, where where studios put their movies in theaters for like a weekend or something like that. And then the following weekend they are on, they're on VOD for some kind of some increased price, maybe not even, maybe not that $20 amount, but maybe something like 15 or just anything higher than what the normal VOD price is for movies. So um, I think if anything, this period has been a really interesting time for experimentation. And I think we're, we were going to see some sort of change in how studios release their movies but i think this has definitely um sped up that process a lot so um i wouldn't be shocked in the in the in the future if we see these kind of these stranger releases or limited engagements where they're in theaters for a week or two and then they put them on vod afterwards um i think it's where i think if anything i see everything moving towards that for these these mid-budget sort of movies yeah, for sure. It's it's a neat sort of experimental time. And also just to quickly point out before we head into kind of what we've been talking about lately, which is Netflix top tens, because that's where everyone's at right now. Netflix and Disney Plus have reported their greatest uh, stock uh, levels uh, up to this point, like in a long time, which is pretty neat because we're seeing obviously, um, sadly, the crashing of the market and, and tough times for the economy across the globe. However, we're seeing internet-based uh, economies and 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 gaming and and streaming all uh peaking right now it's it's a very neat time so uh that's just something quick to point out yeah and it's on the on the other side of that i, I saw reports i think it was like a week ago or so where amc was a little nervous because they were they didn't know if they had the the amount of cash on hand to be able to just withstand a lot of these um a lot of the just issues that come with the coronavirus so um, yeah, it's there's definitely shifting all going around, but yeah, big winner, big winners in all of these are all streaming platforms: Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, Shutter, all of these. Um, Criterion Channel, which I hope you're watching more than all of them, but um, yeah, all of these players are just massive winners because people are just trying to <laughs> buy time, whatever and whatever they can do, and just watch movies and just try not to go crazy with their loved ones. <laughs> so um, yeah, big winners are. Uh, absolutely netflix and disney and all this yeah so um just from that let's move into netflix uh what what's the top 10 looking like down in the united states uh today and just over this past uh, few days so yeah it's the typical weird kind of just just sort of 
like Netflix originals and like semi-popular movies and then just like movies that are just like out of nowhere. So uh, number one in the U.S. today is Despicable Me, which just makes sense. You know, kids running around the house, get them to watch something. Movie made billions of dollars in theaters and the Minions just are just the bane of my existence at this point. So that makes sense. That's number one point. Number one in the U.S. And then you have a movie that I had never heard of uh, called Code 8 which came out last year, um, stars Stephen Amell and Robbie Amell. Um, that's kind of it. I don't know why this movie um, is number two. I feel like, remember that movie Freaks we talked about a few year, uh, a few weeks ago where yeah. there's just always, there's this weird movie that always pops up in the top 10 in the US. I, I don't know why. Um, maybe Netflix runs some kind of thing with that studio and they're kind of placed more prominently on the homepage because I don't really know like, other than that, why these movies pop up, um, it's very strange. Um, but in the third third place is Earth and Blood, which I think is a Netflix original from Belgium, if I believe. It's a cartel movie. Um, after that is Angel Has Fallen. Um, then after that is, a green, is The Green Hornet from a couple of years ago. Uh, six uh, is Love Wedding Repeat, which I hate so much. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven is a movie, another movie that I hate, uh, The Last Airbender, uh, M. Night's the last airbender which is just very very bad um then after that is the hangover uh molly's game is after that those two movies make sense as kind of mainstream big budget movies with stars in them uh and then number 10 is the main event uh, which is a movie that i probably want to talk about a little (laughs) in depth because i hate that movie too but uh what's the top 10 looking like in canada yeah so it's looking like a lot of those netflix movies you just uh take a take a bad liking to and that's that's a common trend i think with all netflix movies <laughs> kind of honestly like outside of so outside of like their awards time where they released like your marriage stories and irishman and romas and all these great movies like it's tough because they're trying to release new things every week and so when i mean that's such a crazy production schedule and you're, you're bound to have a bunch of stinkers in there um just and netflix has become so big that they really can't hide these anymore because more often than not, there's a bunch of websites out there that are just making sure that they're not hidden on the service. And they say like, hey, this all these this group of five movies is coming out this week, so you can't have something like the main event hide on Netflix anymore. Um, but yeah, the main event mm-hmm. is main event is just a terrible movie. It is so bad. I reviewed this movie on the site <laughs> this past week. Uh, it is so terrible. Uh, so it's it's that kind of it's that kid it's you've seen this kind of story so many times where a kid finds like a magical item um that gives them like superpowers of sorts and like and like they can play against like the pros so this movie is um it's a, basically a WWE commercial where a kid finds like a like a smelly luchador mask he puts it on and then he becomes a great WWE wrestler um and then he fights he fights uh, people. Basically, this entire movie is uh, is like an NXT tournament, that like the training grounds for uh, WWE, and like it's this big tournament, and he's like fighting like these big Hulk, hulking dudes. Um, and his name is his uh, his wrestling name is Kid Chaos, which just of course, <laughs> and like the mask gives him like this really like it modulates his voice very bizarrely. It's like it's like when you hear people, you know, like when there's like news reports and people hide their identity and it changes like that voice changer, it makes their voice yeah. really deep. It's that same kind of thing. And it's so scary and distressing. <laughs> it made me so upset watching this movie. Um, 
but yeah, so it's like I, all we I think every generation has this kind of movie where you have like Rookie of the Year is one I'm kind of fond to because I grew up with that one or like Mike um, with Lil Bow Wow where he finds a pair of MJ sneakers and plays in the NBA is one that I really like. Um, but this movie is so, so bad. Like it does all the <laughs> all the stupid tired tro- tropes that you see in these movies. Like he fights one dude um, in the ring and he, the guy has he's like. His like shtick, like all these guys have a shtick. Like one guy is like a good singer in the ring, um, and this other guy, this one, this one guy is really smelly and sweaty. And his <laughs> big, and his big, his, his big, uh, like his big move against the Kid Chaos guy is that he just like he has like sonic sonic fart powers. Like okay. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Like they, it's like a slow motion scene where he farts and like shoots. Um, the kid chaos into the crowd with his farts and it's just so like the worst it's one of those movies. It's just one of those. It's really bad. I hated it. And it's just That's... WWE just trying to like get kids to love the WWE because every kid is obsessed with it in this movie. Like that's all they talk about. Um, it's just such bad corporate marketing and such a bad cheesy movie. Um, it's rough. I've already spoken more about it than it deserves. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so so bad. Oh my god. Well, I don't know. I mean, I like I like popping on some bad movies from time to time, but that might be might be too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's too it's too much. It's not that kind of bad movie. <laughs> uh, so for for Canada right now, a lot of the uh, top ten kind of follows uh, Netflix originals, obviously, but we have Tag at number one, Ocean's Eight at number two. So those are two kind of. Uh, Films that that have these ensemble cast with a lot of uh, a lot of star power in them. Uh, three is Earth and Blood, which is a French film, uh, not a Quebec movie, but actually uh, France. Um, Sergio at four, which is the Netflix original. Uh, Love Wedding Repeat holds in there at number five. That was uh, number one last week, I believe. There's another movie called The Healer at six. A Once Upon a Time in London at seven. <laughs> Never heard of it. Um, the main event at eight and then a champion heart uh, looks like a horse movie here. A lot of these just kind of random movies popping on mixed with the Netflix originals. And then a number 10 is obviously the go-to comedy uh, white chicks. <laughs> that, that classic white chicks. Oh yeah. That, that was, that was like, I think two or three last week. And it's just, I mean, it, it's just such a popular movie at this point that I think a lot of people would just pop it on when it, when it drops on Netflix. <laughs> I feel like Angel Has Fallen in the U.S. has been one that's been on this list for a while, um, which I think is actually kind of interesting and something I want to dive into a little more uh, because that movie came out in August of last year. So like right in this period is when it should have been going to like HBO or something like that. But I don't think it ever had that kind of run. So it really went just straight to Netflix, which I think is really interesting as a sort of like a secondary screen for this kind of movie. So instead of like... It makes a lot of sense because instead of selling those rights to like stars or HBO for it to play exclusively on there, they just Netflix was probably like, hey, we'll take it. And here's our sum of money, which I don't know if I've seen them do a lot, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. And they probably pay a little extra. So get they get the movie streaming rights for forever. So maybe that's maybe Angels Fallen is on there for a while. I don't know. I think that's I don't have I don't have all the information there, but it sounds like something interesting that Netflix could kind of go into more. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, it's something that they they should definitely move into. I mean, it, it'd be good good uh, for them, good for business, good for everything. Um, and I, I also wonder what kind of money is is kind of involved in that sort of transaction. It'd be kind of neat to uh, to see kind of what's what's under under the table there. Um, but yeah, that that's a film that yeah came out in August. Um, 
and now here on Netflix seems quick, but it's it's an avenue that with a film like that, it's it's not super surprising to me. I mean, I, I thought maybe it would take a little longer, but uh, it's it's getting watched by millions of eyes across the United States. And I can't believe this, but I think they wanted to make a fourth one of these. One of these has fallen movies. <laughs> so they, they, they did. Yeah, it's maybe this is just a way because I think this movie did well at the box office, but I think. It's been like a steady decline in all of these movies. Like uh, the first one, Olympus Has Fallen, was the most um, uh, lucrative at the box office. Then uh, what was it? What was the second one? London Has Fallen. London. That, yeah. yeah, that was still still very successful, but less so. And this one, even less so than that, but still profitable. So I'm wondering, maybe this is their way of kind of trying to like drudge up some sort of extra audience for it. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense because a yeah. lot of Netflix Netflix allows a lot of eyes to be seen for it, so who knows? I think that's a good good bet, and it seems like a smart route to take if you want to uh, try to build up an audience. And and one of the reasons I think that they probably see potential is the budgets have actually gone down with each film. Uh, while profits have decreased, the budgets have actually decreased as well, which is an interesting thing. And I think that leaves uh, the possibility for the franchise to stay alive for a fourth movie. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe this Netflix play will uh, help them out. Um, but let's kind of just segue into some of the bigger releases this weekend, uh, streaming releases. So Sergio is the first one. I haven't quite seen it yet, but I know Anna Armas is in it, and uh, and you're kind of uh, in the process right now. Yeah, so this movie was actually... Um, it came out at Sundance uh, back in January. I didn't see it there, but it was a big buzzy release there along with another Netflix movie, um, The Last Thing He Wanted. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's not great. And Sergio's not great either. Uh, definitely not the train wreck that The Last Thing He Wanted was. Um, this Sergio is just kind of more of a just a pretty cliched kind of surface level uh, story. Um, so I forgot the I forget the. Um, Sergio, I forget his entire name, but he's a he was a Brazilian UN ambassador and kind of took over uh, in in Iraq as uh, kind of the UN was looking to kind of fix the issues in that country over the fall of the regime during the the Bush administration back in the two thousands. So he was brought in kind of as a, a, strate- a strategist to kind of move forward with the nation in a kind of smart and sensible way. Um, Obviously, you can you can read into the the real life events a little more at your leisure, but it didn't. Obviously, it hasn't gone well. Um, he died tragically in a I think in a bombing. But um, I'm about halfway through the movie. The movie's fine. Um, I was telling you before we got on here. There's a there's a scene where um, the, uh, the the actor who plays Sergio, who's in Narcos, he walks into the into the rain, and then Ana de Armas just meets him out there, and they share this passionate kiss in the rain, and it's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> like that. It's like that kind of movie where, yeah. um, it's like, yeah, super. It's pretty melodramatic, and they play up like this romance angle when amid amidst like the like the terror surrounding it, uh, surrounding it. So, um, that's not too great. Who knows? Maybe the last 50, 50 or so minutes really speaks to me. But um, <laughs> at this point, I can't report too too many great things about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if uh, we'll see if it kind of wins you back. Um, but another one that we wanted to touch on real quick, and I think that you've uh, watched it, is uh, Crip Camp. It came out a few weeks ago on Netflix. It holds a hundred percent around Tomatoes. It was initially supposed to have a uh, theater run. It, it premiered at Sundance in January, but obviously with um, uh, with with coronavirus, there there is a little bit of a issue there. So, uh, yeah, what what's this film all about? I know the Obamas uh, produced it, though. 
Yeah, so this was, I think this is their second um, film that they've produced, and their first one was American Factory last year, which obviously won Best Documentary, Best Feature Documentary at the Oscars. And I definitely think Crip Camp was supposed to be in that line as well. Um, I've, I think I've, I've seen where Netflix is probably going to do some sort of qualifying run later on in the, in the year for it, because uh, this was definitely going to be a big, uh, like they were going to make a big push for this in the feature documentary uh, category, um, as well as they should, because this movie is really terrific. I, I really, really like this movie a lot. Um, so just for some background, it's, it's basically the story of there was this uh, disabilities camp in, in New York called Camp Jeanette. Um, where basically it was kind of like the only safe haven for with people for people with disabilities to go to because in that time and this movie talks about this in, at length later on but there there wasn't things weren't things weren't handicap accessible um, just like this there was just a just a larger stigma surrounding people with disabilities back then but this camp uh, just kind of blossomed out of nowhere and gave them a safe a safe haven for all them to just just be themselves and just grow and prosper and it's really terrific and that's that's the first half of this documentary then after that you learn that all like a good portion of these campers turned out to be huge um activists for people with disabilities and and one of them and a big group of them basically led the the coalition to which eventually led into the uh, the um, american disabilities act in 1990 um and basically just revolutionize the way we look at people with disabilities and how we just, just make a lot like lives easier. And it's, it's really terrific and it's a really good, I didn't really know much about it at all, but it's a really good kind of historical text and it kind of really teaches you a lot about what kind of the moving parts of the era and what politicians were involved. And um, yeah, I, it's really moving and just, it's just really humane and it's just, it's really terrific. I can't recommend this movie enough. And it took uh, the audience award at Sundance as well. Yeah, it's definitely one of those super uplifting uh, stories where I don't think it's. I think if they tried to tell this story in like a like a feature film, it would be like the most like cliched trite thing. <laughs> but um, uh, there's so much there's so much good documentary footage in here. Like they were basically filming the entire time at the camp, so they have so many good conversations about like these kids just saying that. Like, I just want to be able to, like, have a private moment and not be, like, looked over, like, 24 hours a day. And, like, they're so thoughtful. And it's it's just – it's really a sight to behold. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those documentaries that comes along that's really – it's really thoughtful. But it's also just, like, super crowd-pleasing and just makes you feel great at the end. Um, yeah. So um, I, would, I would expect this movie is a big-time player. Um in the feature documentary category later on or early next year. Um, Cause Netflix is definitely going to push for it. That's for sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty neat. And, and it'll be a good potential uh, for the Obamas to have back to back years with uh, two documentaries going pretty far in award season. Um, but now segueing into another thing we've been talking about a while for a while now, just, with coronavirus and stuff, what we've been watching, what we've been doing and what we're planning to do. Um, so for me this past week, I dove into Noah Baumbach a little bit. Obviously, uh, I was a fan of marriage story a lot. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, but I wanted to see a little bit more of his uh, filmography. There have been a lot of his films that have kind of, uh, piqued my interest, but I haven't really got into yet, especially Meyerwood stories with uh, Adam Sandler. I just like seeing, uh, him actually try. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So that was the first one I jumped into. And then following that, um, Francis Haw, and then following that, uh, yesterday, his directorial debut, Kicking and Screaming. Um, I know you've seen most of those films. I don't know you're a big fan of uh, Meyerowitz. Um, but yeah, I, I really dug all, all three of them. They're really great. And there's there's something about the way uh, he, he portrays his characters. It's, it's, it's a very neat thing. But Kicking and Screaming is one that I want to touch on a little bit more in the next few minutes, just because it, it was his first film. And it's neat to look back on that from where he is now. Yeah, I love Meyerowitz so, so much. I I feel like I've watched it like, I don't know, like I watch it every couple months because I think it's just so terrific. And like like you said with Sandler, like, yeah, he's actually trying and it's so great. Um, but I feel like strangely, it's like we talk about like, oh, he was incredible and Uncut Gems and he was great in Punch Drunk Love. But I don't feel like it's weird. I don't feel like this one, like they lump, people lump that into the same discussion. I feel like it's kind of weird and it's kind of left left off, but yeah, he's really great in it. And Ben Stiller is terrific in it. Just the whole cast. You have Dustin Hoffman. It's just an unbelievable curmudgeon as a dad for all these guys. Um, yeah, it's just um, Emma Thompson has a great role in there as well as the kind of just like just bomb out of remind hippie stepmother. <laughs> She's so good. Um, but yeah, like he's he's one of those directors where he he kind of like. The, you kind of see like he kind of likes to follow the same beats in a lot of his stories where a lot of them are about people in New York and they're maybe uh, what's the word like they're kind of an, like an upper class or sorts. Um, but he always I think at his worst, like those those characters are like kind of annoying and frustrating. But times like Meyerowitz, I think they're just so great. And he writes his characters so wonderful that the dialogue just pops off the screen and um, they're both like really like well-written like obviously well-written scenes but also like pretty like fairly normal too um so yeah i i think meyerwitz might be that or mayor's story is probably my favorite of his yeah and i'm planning to obviously uh, keep going with this and i think a squid in the whale is the next one i might dive into or uh, greenberg um or uh, the other one while we're young which is not too old either i think it came out in 2015 stars of ben stiller and uh, naomi watts but far i've really dug all of it and um i think kicking and screaming is, is a very interesting film just because of it being his first um you, you can definitely see a lot of his early uh in, in his early work how that has kind of led to where he is now but this is a very different film in in my opinion than than the other three more recent films that i've seen from him um with marriage story francis and meyerowitz this is a film that a lot of the characters aren't super likable early on i think even in in meyerwitz i mean as you're talking about it, a lot of his characters are kind of upper class uh snobby at times but a lot of the characters in his films i think that you can you can find a liking to and and you can really get behind them but um in kicking and screaming they start off uh, kind of uh, as douchebags most of them they're all college just leaving college and it's just kind of a neat story about about um four people in college who are kind of just trying to f- find out what they're going to do after and it just kind of follows them over the course of a few months and it, it by the end of it you really come around on a lot of these characters and it's just kind of neat to see that and he also has a pretty uh, cool cameo in there i mean it's, it's not anything too special you might not even notice it if you've never seen him but uh it, it it's just kind of cool to see him in there yeah and he kind of he mirrors that kind of that story structure a lot in francis hot too which is basically just like him following greta gerwig as like a 20 something and just kind of figuring out what she wants to do. So it seems like there's, there's a lot of symmetry in a lot of his work. Cause you can, you can look at 
Um, the Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story is two interesting perspectives on like a divorce story because the Squid and the Whale is very much centered on the kids in that conversation in that or that kind of event in life, whereas Marriage Story is like basically like solely about the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to pick out there and kind of showing how um, he's grown as a filmmaker where Squid and the Whale is kind of like an angry movie. It's more of an angry movie. Definitely a Marriage Story, I feel like, is definitely the more... Um, not restrained, but it's a little more. Um, it, it likes its characters a lot more. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of like venom behind the way that the Squid and the Whale looks at the Jeff Daniels character. And um, but I feel like you come out of Marriage Story feeling that the movie appreciates um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. So it's an interesting kind of point of growth for how. Maybe he just views life in general. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to arm do some armchair armchair psychology here, but there is something there you can pick at. Yeah, no, definitely, and it's it's also neat because I feel like there's a there's a sort of elegance with uh, his movies and the way they flow. Um, but I, I didn't feel like that was present for most of Kicking and Screaming. Now, obviously, I haven't seen a, a lot of his earlier stuff, but um, th- there's just this sort of elegance with the score and with the way things are shot, with the way characters speak in um, a lot of his newer movies. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. It feels like, like yeah, like he's become more maybe theatrical in his later movies, where his first his first few are more uh, more so of him just kind of like fo- like following people and maybe doing a little more like cloak some more colloquialisms or just kind of like a fly on the wall type of thing and trying to make things as lived in as possible but i mean you watch something like marriage story where it's like like they go on like a five minute argument which is like that's like so raw and like good but it's also like like that's like so theatrical <laughs> like it's in a great in like the best way possible it's just it's just a little bit of a difference but yeah i definitely agree with you there yeah, no, for sure, and that that's kind of what I what I liked about kicking and screaming, kind of just being kind of being that fly in the wall scenario, but also just that it was a little bit more, um, uh, not not dry, but it was a little bit more rough than some of his newer stuff, and in a good way though, and it was kind of neat to see that, and maybe a little bit of the progressions throughout his career. So it'll be it'll be neat to kind of continue with his uh, filmography as the next uh, week comes, and I'll probably jump into that uh, either tonight or tomorrow. But um, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I don't have, like, any rhyme or reason for what I've been watching. Um, I know, like, a little bit ago I was doing stuff with David Lynch, and it's like, oh, maybe I'll do this and that. Um, I started deep diving the Criterion channel for a little bit, and now I'm just kind of sort of just picking whatever comes comes to my mind or what I see when I scroll through Netflix. Um, so I just have a bunch of, like, a, grag, a grab bag of stuff where um, this week I watched Stalker, the classic um, Andrea Tarkovsky movie um, from the 70s, which is just a terrific movie, and I can't recommend that movie enough. Um, but then I also watched stuff like Event Horizon, <laughs> the the Paul W.S. Anderson movie, um, which I can't say is, like, good, but I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it. <laughs> but... I think if there's any themes in the stuff I've watched, uh, I've watched a few um, later period Eddie Redmayne movie movies, and I've come to the realization that I don't quite get him as an actor. Um, maybe I think it's I think it's a combination of things. So I rewatch. So I watched The Theory of Everything for the first time, and then a few days later, I watched The, the Danish Girl. Um, kind of the two big Oscar-y movies that he's been in uh, throughout the 2010s. Um, Frankly, I didn't like I didn't like either of these movies. Uh, there's a there's a kind of British movie uh, that I don't love, um, and I think you know what I'm talking about as well. Where it's it's like this it 
it portends that it's about things and it's like a vague period piece in like the 1900s where um like yeah like it's like on the on the surface it's about stuff and there there's like this like driving string score and it's supposed to like it's all these like theatrical um uh performances but it really doesn't amount to much mm-hmm. um that's kind of how i feel about both these movies um where like the danish girl is just like so superficial and like um just like doesn't really put a lot of thought into it. it's pretty touchy subject matter um it's a really interesting story that i don't think is played well at all and another example of why tom hooper is kind of a hack <laughs> <laughs> um i watched that movie uh, i put this as my letterbox review of the movie but you watch that movie and stuff like cats make more sense because it just has just oversight for like the fine details and then obviously stuff like with cats comes in and it's just like hilarious like all the details they missed and why they ever thought that movie was a good idea in the first place um but yeah i and eddie eddie Redman, i think it's it's part i think it's a lot of like the writing where it's like the like the speeches he has in these movies and things like that they're very performative but there's not really like a lot of there there you know um but i don't know i just a lot of his stuff just kind of it's it hits me very coldly i don't know I think it's just uh, just just the simple fact that you you just dislike Tom Hooper and Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> do you think that Eddie Redmayne is is a good actor in a bad in bad movies, or do or do you really not think he's that uh, great? Um, I just think he's fine. I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. Where, um, I guess after he won his Oscar for the Theory of Everything, he was in um, Jupiter Ascending as the as the villain who just yells and like whispers in, in, in sentences where <laughs> he's just full blast and then just like quiet. Um, I, I don't think it's, I think he's pretty good in the fantastic beasts movies. Um, he's, I think he's just, he's kind of weird. And that Newt commander character is kind of, um, I think it's one of the few times where he's like actually created a character that has like some like weird, like, some weird layers to him. Cause I feel like in a lot of his movies, like he has like these very performative ticks that aren't very, very interesting. And he kind of like the way he talks, like he kind of like grovels in a very strange, weird, in a strange way. Um, but I feel like Newt Scamander's like the one time it's like actually worked for me, but I don't know, but I'm not totally against him, but <laughs> as, of, as of right now, he's just kind of like generic British actor guy to me i don't know but but, but you are uh, against uh, tom hooper yeah fuck that guy <laughs> um, tom hooper so come on the we'll, pod <laughs> yeah we'll uh, we'll have him on next week as a special guest um but with that i mean we'll end on kind of a uh, uh, an angry note for you <laughs> i'm always angry what can i say uh but i mean i hope that everyone just stays healthy stays safe and nick hope you have a uh, a great week and hope you watch some some good movies not uh not any more uh tom hooper movies yeah i've been i've been just doing myself dirty this past couple of days i need to watch something good <laughs> so hopefully i report back with something better next week uh I hope you turn it around. And uh, as always, uh, you can check us out at moviebabblereviews.com. We got content on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. So uh, we'll be back next week talking more box office nothingness. And then besides that, a whole lot of movie stuff. So I just want uh, to let you guys know. Thanks again for listening and uh, stay healthy, stay safe. See you, Nick.